Uh, first of all, Russian media has no fucking clue about anything, and uh, I think that uh, I think that these are rumors. And uh, to be honest, I don't, I'm not really in the mood to comment them and waste my fucking time for bullshit. We've now gotten to a stage in the numbering where we now actually have one episode for every narrative made about Nico Rosberg. Good evening, everybody. Hi, I'm Andre Harrison, your friendly neighborhood host, and welcome to episode 51 of Motorsport 101. Let me get the positive stuff out of the way real quick. First of all, I have to say a big thanks to Tyler Small, who's our new Patreon backer. Um, The the timing of this was kind of hilarious because it actually happened about lap 40-ish into the German Grand Prix, which means we literally profited off other people's misfortunes. He is our first Schoenfreude Patreon backer. I think that's just the most glorious timing ever that the podcast can actually literally profit off of other people's misfortune. I I, I personally think that's just hilarious. Um, Second of all, massive thanks to everybody that listened and watched episode 50 last week you guys made it such an awesome experience um yeah you guys have asked are we gonna do more more live episodes the answer is maybe um we we we, we like to think we're gonna do it for more special occasions but we'll stick to more priya palooza episodes where we where we watch races together and for the love of god please don't be formula one races um (laughs) the way this season is going is it's not pretty at this point our campaign to get dre into nascar is starting to pick up some steam yeah, just because like, he's just like, like like Paul Pogba. I am now open to negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> like like it's going to take a big fee, but like like the door is not like the door is cracked open slightly. Um, so you know there, there there is hope for you guys that are determined to get me into NASCAR just yet and complete my American tran- tran- transition. I uh, think that's the best way of me saying it. Now I have good news for you, listeners of this of this show. This is not the only episode you're going to be getting this week. Now, the reason why that is is because we were so adamant that the the change of tone from Formula 1 to IndyCar and GP2, which was actually a a, a brilliant GP2 weekend, the Hockenheim for what it's worth, was so great, we felt like it was actually for the best if we did two separate episodes on this. So... So basically tonight you're getting the Black Album and in a few days' time you'll be getting the White Album. Essentially, <laughs> yeah, which means double the light in the editing room for Johnson this week, but, you know, his pain, yeah, is, your, yeah, his pain is your gain. Um, <laughs> but, um, you motherfuckers better be grateful for this. Yes. <laughs> we, we, we will pay you in Jack Daniels, you'll be fine. Um, so, as usual, in the red corner we have Mr. Adam Johnson. 
Hello. Um, yeah, this is, well, not a red corner in terms of Thor. I, I don't think that's a corner I want to be in at the moment. No. But, um, yeah, no, we're, let's let's get ready to go. I, I feel like the TV schedule didn't work for me this week because yeah. uh, due to robotic combat, uh, I actually missed the IndyCar, which is going to be talked about on the Light album. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the Dark album tonight was the race I did watch, Formula One. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Uh, more on that later. But as, co- as always, our honorary representative American, unfortunately, the grid girls are about to pinch him down the road, so we, we might be down an American soon. But, uh, again, our loss is their gain. Mrs. Ryan King, hello, sir. <laughs> yes, yes. You better, you know, if you're thinking about keeping me, throw some cash my way. <laughs> we need to enter negotiations now, Dre. Uh, I, I will buy you a Ryan Fitzpatrick Jets jersey. How about that? <laughs> oh. Do you think they heard our draft episode and were like, wait a minute, why don't we do a draft with podcasters mm. <laughs> in that in that in that case i'm offended that king was a number one pick <laughs> that's right you were number one pick for side podcast well like i guess that's a plus the blackman family love me what can i say uh, <laughs> even though they hate my guts uh, <laughs> because I, because I, I disagree with them on everything which is no disrespect because they, those two do great work over there at slight and they've been very yeah, kind yeah, towards our show in the past as well so much appreciation to those guys um i'm just joking before anybody starts but um Okay, now, as we mentioned, this is the first of two episodes you'll get in this week, because like we said, we felt like the the kind of the polarizing nature of both major weekends from Formula One and everybody else was so big, we felt like it was just for the best if we did two episodes, because I've got a feeling this F1 segment is going to go long, and I mean really really long so we don't normally like to brag about length on this show but you know (laughs) (laughs) although to be honest with you that sort of innuendo is a bit like a joke i I saw on um the wrestling youtube show wrestling with regret recently Uh and he was doing it he was reviewing an old wrestling movie that was kind of crap Uh and there were two segments in that where there was like topless scenes right for the first bit it was like oh boobies yay and then the second bit it was someone crying in the shower and he was like nah sad boobies are not the same (laughs) so this is kind of like this is kind of like angry angry long angry length basically (laughs) it it, it takes all like i I don't know how this podcast suddenly got so crude but that is actually like like, suddenly like like, (laughs) 51 episodes seriously you you make a good point there but um it's it yeah i mean sad boobies are the worst kind of boobies unfortunately but uh speaking of sad it's it's like it's it's been a what's the best way i can describe this it's been a shit yeah, oh shit, that, that, that could work. Frustrating, as I was, I was going to use once, I was actually going to be modest about this one. But no, horseshit definitely works. It's a week where our masochistic devotion to Formula One was pushed to its very limit. Ugh. Basically, the sort of week, I remember, Dre, you used to do a couple of, I think you did a couple of um, uh, Dre Talks videos back in the Harrison 101 era. Yes, yeah, that, yes. Although, that's weird, that was only like six months ago. <laughs> I know, right? Um, <laughs> it was like so long ago. But you did a couple of episodes of that where you were just like, listen, all of you F1 fans were moaning. You're all masochists. You're all going to keep watching. And I was sat there in the German Grand Prix going, yep, yeah, he's right. Although I'm also <laughs> obligated because we're hosting a podcast about this shit. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you just go, Ugh, it's it's been a lot of that. I think it, it mostly started on Thursday. And Thursday was... Um, a, a semi-regular strategy group meeting and a lot was thrown on the table during this strategy group meeting and 
what's the best way of getting me putting this up? Like the big one, given recent news, at least you know, in in our state of instant gratification that we get in Formula One these days, King, was that immediately the radio restrictions were lifted. <laughs> Yes, the radio restrictions were lifted for the entire duration of the race. I think, like, the the only situation where they're still in effect is the formation lap, which is, like, nearly pointless. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just there for the sake of it, really. I'm not being funny with you. If you're a Formula 1 driver that needs to get coached through the formation lap, what are you doing there? <laughs> Who turned you into a side podcast member? No, <laughs> but, um, yeah, you're, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you, like... I, I said this over a year ago, off the, off the Canada. I said changing the radio rules around seemed entirely pointless. It, it just seemed. I said it on the Dre brief. I, I mean, I talked about going to the sausage factory, which was very, very hard to stay mature while making a Dre brief script about it. But uh, it, it it was there was a lot of sausage on the table there, and that that was the analogy I used to describe it. Everybody likes a good sausage, but unfortunately, nobody likes to hear about how sausage is made. Uh, Andre Harrison, two minutes ago. Since when did this podcast get so crude? That, that, that's a you problem, Johnson. That's a you problem. <laughs> oh, it's, it's only a thing since I turned up. Is it twenty six episodes ago? Shut up. <laughs> okay, we have made. Okay, we may or may not have discussed the actual female footballing crushes of me and Ryan King on previous episodes. Okay, it happens, right? Hey, it was tasteful. It was tasteful. Yes, yes, it was. To be fair, that is very true. That, 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 I'll give you that. But um, anyway, <laughs> I mean, you can tell we're kind of winging this episode, can't you? But it, it's it's. Or we're just dreading having to dive into the cesspit. Yeah, of- yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm basically like I'm tapping it with my finger before I put my whole fist in, basically. Um, oh god! <laughs> I can't believe it. Oh my god! Oh god! <laughs> Oh, God. this is going to be a long episode. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> we are taking this podcast to strange and interesting new places. Um, yeah, but as I was saying, like, the radio restriction rules, it just seemed like a placebo to please the fans that, you know, we you know, we wanted to feel better about the product that we were watching. And I never liked the rules. And to be fair, it never really made a massive impact to the product. I mean, apart from the occasional radio call where you say an engineer tell a driver, oh, we can't tell you, Lewis. <laughs> or we can't tell you, Kimmy, I'm sorry. And, you know, it's like, oh, for frick's sake. And you could just hear these drivers just getting more and more frustrated. It's like, why can't you tell me anything? Um, why? Because we, because you know we want to make the fans happy. Like what fans? And I'm like the old ones. <laughs> but yeah, the radio restrictions have been lifted. I'm all for this. Quite frankly, again, I felt like, I felt like the whole thing was pointless. I I felt like it served. It was blown out of proportion to begin with, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was, and you know, it was. It was just one particularly bad race in Canada, a track which I think a lot of people expect it to be good anyway. Um. The fact that Canada was only average, really, that year in 2015, I think that's what triggered a lot of people's feelings like, oh, we need something to put our frustration on. Let's blame the tyre management. Let's blame the radio. In fact, we got told all of this, which, again, if you weren't told via team radio, you'd be none the wiser as a fan. So, you know, which one do you want? Do you want teams to be more accessible via the radio and to have that information to hand, or do you want... 
you know, a situation where you find out the inner workings of what's going on. You know, do you want to see the sausage, basically? And that's just how it was across the board. So for me, I don't know how you guys feel, but I'm I'm all for this rule being scrapped. I think it was completely unnecessary in the first place. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, just beforehand, it's quite entertaining how we sometimes have diversions as we're taping yes. uh, on the air and... Weirdly, I think the last race, uh, the last NASCAR race at Pocono was rain delayed to Monday yes. and it was on while we were taping an episode. Mm-hmm. It's happened again. Yep. And after about two and a half hours of fog, storm and rain delays, Chris Busher is a NASCAR Sprint Cup Series winner. Uh, <laughs> to put it into context, folks, guys who don't really know NASCAR that much, I'm aware most people listening to this podcast probably only know it due to my references every sodding week. Basically, Chris Buescher winning a NASCAR Sprint Cup race before the likes of Chase Elliott, Carl Larson, etc., is a bit like Pascal Wehrlein winning a Grand Prix before Valtteri Bottas, Sergio Perez, Nico Hülkenberg, Carlos Sainz, Daniel Kvyat, and, you know, if you take Spain out of it, Max Verstappen. That's kind of how big this is. Yeah, um, seems fair to me. And, uh, yeah, congrats to him. Uh, hey, we need some positives in here, so I will take them wherever I can really find do. them right now. But um, So, yeah, yeah and the radio rules being scrapped. Again, I think we universally agreed here that was most likely a good move. And I think the, the fact that the radio was playing into race results of it was just all completely ridiculous. It had gone way too far. The next issue track limits um so in other words cars will no longer be punished for track issues track track limit breaches now this isn't strictly speaking true charlie whiting was still officiating track limits at germany this past weekend this this was this was more of a plea i feel like from the strategy group than an actual rule that's into that's coming to effect immediately because as we saw during the weekend king they were they were still being strict about track limits i think was the final corner and i think turn one i want to say was where it was most prevalent this weekend Um, yeah and it it was basically even though that they said that they were like no longer enforcing track limits it was no longer enforcing track limits for this specific weekend yeah so in other words after the break when we go to spa it's probably going to be back basically yes oh good (laughs) because like honestly it's like it's like track limits has kind of become like every formula one league race's new favorite buzz term because you know we we like seeing these drivers challenged and whatnot i mean i don't know about you king but me personally i've never been the big track limits guy i mean okay there are some places where you will gain an advantage but let's be real here this is formula one and drivers are going to take every liberty they can spare i just i just feel like i feel like this is a like what are we really talking about here situation (laughs) yeah I i feel pretty much the same way like for me i don't really care about track limits as long as you're not cutting corners like as long as you know don't cut corners it's fine in my book yeah yeah i mean and again nobody is cutting a corner on purpose like like shout out to will buxton for this one because he has to be so melodramatic about everything on twitter but it was he's an f1 journalist that's his job agreed (laughs) um it it was just he was like oh i can't wait till somebody cuts the novel chicane at monaco now or cuts the first chicane at monza no buxton because that's ever going to happen what the fuck do you think this is one of the video games no this is buxton going for life this is what he does on Twitter. It's just saying things that he knows are he knows are asinine. He knows are over the top and melodramatic just to try and make a point, a point where he clearly missed said point, where 
this is not about cutting corners. This is about the little things, not the big things. And, you know, no F1 driver is suddenly going to drive over the chicane at Monaco because this rule is now in or not in effect. That that never happens. We're not idiots. We're not monkeys. We don't need to be told how to, how to take a corner properly. No, it, it's, it's a situation where, you know... I think the strategy group has come to the realization that, you know, maybe striking down an entire lap for the sake of gaining half a temp through a corner because you've run a little bit extra wide is, you know, probably just not worth it in the grand scheme of things. It's just excessive, really, isn't yeah, it? I, mean, it's like, I think that, yeah. that, you know, they were talking about in this meeting relaxing some of the rules. And I, I think for fans, that's an even bigger frustration than anything else. And for drive, more importantly for drivers and teams, if they feel like they're, they're forced into a box and they're, you know, they can't put, they can't push even when they are supposed to, because they're, I mean, track limits, it's a weird thing. It has risen up due to the fact that there is no natural punishment for running wide anymore. Right. There's now just concrete out there. So what do they do? Yeah. So, an invisible punishment is just more sort of like it's less satisfying for you know instant karma used to be provided if a driver ran wide and went through the grass or through the gravel you know the punishment was straight there now oh maybe he gained an advantage so let's penalize him uh oh that's a bit lame really so yeah i think overall they got this one right yeah but i also find it weird that this year is actually the 20th anniversary of you know what is known as the past like Ah, <laughs> yes. Uh, where you know that famous cart season oh, in Alex masterclass. Yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. Alex Zanardi basically lunging at the you know the left hand at the left hand right before the hairpin, and then basically cutting the I mean right before the, the, corkscrew. the corkscrew, and then cutting the corkscrew to make his pass on Brian Herda. But there was gravel on the inside of that corner, so it was almost like, well, he cut the corner, but but it's but it's like a like a four story drop, so gravel doesn't really stop you. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, again, I feel like I feel like we're looking for an axe to grind here, where it's just not worth the trouble, quite frankly. And what guys like Buxton and I think this hardcore collective don't realise is that gravel is not safe gravel is an extremely dangerous thing and having so much of it on racetracks sounds great in theory but on high speed tracks they vault cars over they 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 can cause horrendous accidents i I mean we all saw it at the start of the season fernando alonso in australia uh, he goes over the back of esteban's rear wing at 185 miles an hour and he was lucky to be alive, quite frankly, given how nasty that crash looked in real time. And I still remember World Superbikes at Laguna Seca last year where David Giuliano was flung off his bike and he landed back first in the gravel and the rolls fractured his back and his season ended right there and then. So for me, gravel, I think, causes more problems than it solves. And... People have been dying for me to, to talk about this solution of, oh, why don't you just have a thin line of gravel around the outside to punish the drivers? And I'm like, <laughs> you're missing the point. And like, gravel doesn't work like that. Like, if you've ever, like, seen gravel in real life, it, it doesn't stay in one spot. It's like sand. It gets everywhere. 
Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like the amount of times a car's been hauled out of the gravel and they just drag. Or, you know, you see it a lot in uh, British Touring Car Championship racing. A car will go off yeah. and then come back on and scatter gravel all across the track. And you're like, could you have just not done that, please? Yeah, <laughs> lots to mention. They, they mentioned that about possibly having like a thin line of astroturf or grass around the around like a small a thin layer of, of grass around there. which my, my response to that was did you realize how dangerous that could be if it's wet like i don't know if you guys remember moto gp a couple of years ago but do you remember aragon 2014 where valentino rossi took like an almighty concussion because he put a wheel on the astro turf lost yes. the, lost the back of his bike and there's no grip there yeah he, he went like he went straight into the air cushion in an accident that was very reminiscent to what happened to louis salom and it was like it was luckily Ouch. it was just a concussion but it was a really nasty accident that rossi suffered there basically to me it almost feels like a new surface altogether needs to be invented you know because gravel's proven to be flawed grass doesn't work tarmac seemingly doesn't work because it doesn't punish the drivers enough where's the surface in between do you do you well, use sandpaper on the wanted, outside of circuits people wanted to use that like uh i think the fia suggested that they use the you know abrasive tarmac that they have at paul ricard while you know the immediate reaction of most fans were like oh they'll ruin their race because their set of tires will be completely destroyed well hang on don't you want mistakes to be punished yeah which is uh i mean that's actually not a bad idea and it looks quite spectacular at paul ricard those big blue like circular yeah, patterns mm-hmm. yeah. they actually look great so that's that's not too much of a bad if, it, if it's a compromise between punishing a driver for for running wide and not having them fly into the barriers or flip over a million times i'm kind of cool with that yeah i mean if you're gonna do it that's probably the way to go i just feel like having grass astroturf or gravel as a thin layer to punish the drivers is too much feeding into a narrative that i feel like probably shouldn't be so exaggerated the sense of drivers must be punished for making mistakes like i've said it before on this show we're talking about the 22 best racing drivers in the world here for the most part or, or, or that's the that's the perception that f1 tends to give out they're not going to make very many mistakes in the first place and honestly if they put those kind of thin layers there nobody would run off track and then they wouldn't be required at all anyway because you know what they do they adapt and that's just what they do that's what race drivers do they will be fine but hey again if you want to feel better about what you're watching then hey push that boat out there if if that's how you feel for me i just feel like we're clutching at straws here to try and find ways to make a product more entertaining that isn't very entertaining right now and i think we've been a little bit lucky this year about how that's all played out but hey what do i know more more on that later but um another one of the interesting ones coming out of that strategy group meeting the wet weather standing restarts king tell us more (laughs) Uh, effectively, every race session will start with a standing start, no matter what. So, essentially, uh, if we go back to the British Grand Prix, where we, you know, did laps behind the safety car until it was good to go, and then it was a rolling start, it would be the same thing, except we'd get a standing start. Okay, so instead of these really lengthy, you know, seven or eight lap safety car stints to start a race, you'd get a standing restart. Now... King. Uh, you would you would still get the driving behind the safety car, but oh, right. But once it's dry, you get a standing restart. Yeah, yeah. Once it's dry, okay. you get a restart. 
Well, that's actually, again, that's not too bad a compromise. Now, again, I don't, I've don't. i never been one of those guys that thinks that, you know, this, 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 the safety car riding is a big deal. Silverstone, I think it was perfect um, in the sense of, you know, we had a sudden downpour. It totally made sense from a, from a safety standpoint to have a, to have a safety car start. I think the issue has always been the length the safety car goes out and the fact that, you know, it's, it's always in a situation where... Pardon me. The extreme wets are never fully utilized in a race. It's basically like a safety tire at this point, rather than something you can actually race on. Um, I don't think this is going to get rid of that. I mean, this is, I think this is only really going to work if, you know, you leave a little bit of extra I don't want to use the term danger, but I guess that's the one on the table by starting on having a standing restart on full wets and whatnot and seeing where it goes from there. A little bit of risk. Yeah, yeah like uh, also a little like uh, aspect of the rule is uh, it was also one of the other changes that you're not allowed to change tires during a red flag now. So once you roll off the grid for the safety car laps, you're not allowed to change your tire. I thought that was already the case. Well, it it was weird because uh, it would it would have been one of the loopholes that after the safety car period and they roll up for a you know standing start, they technically would have been able to change tires. Like you could just uh, start from pit lane instead. Okay, but that's interesting. But um, I guess you know i'm not quite sure how i feel about this one but all i will say is that again i again this is this is like a compromise to to an issue that i didn't think was a massive deal but it's for me that it does leave things a little bit more of a variable out there that you know you're gonna have these standing restarts in the wet and you know it's it's mm, i'm I'm struggling to, to find the best way of wording this it feels like it's a nice, I guess, a nice compromise for some entertainment's sake that you get to have a, a couple of variables thrown in by having a standing restart as opposed to what we saw at Silverstone earlier this season where Hamilton was able to control the restart and that was a big reason why he was able to pull out that three-and-a-half-second cushion in the opening lap of the of, of the, well, the effective opening lap of the Silverstone, of, of the British Grand Prix Silverstone earlier this month. But... Um, King, what's your general? What's your general feeling on this, Johnson? Feel free to chip in as well if you like. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a good thing. It, like in general, I like standing starts because they're much more exciting than rolling starts. While like a rolling start in F one, in F one, basically you don't expect anything to happen but the status quo. While a standing start, there's basically anything could happen, and that's exciting. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so you know that that in itself should be able to counteract some of the negative feeling that regards you know the nature of the standing start. So yeah, when you put it like that, that's probably a positive in the long scheme of things. Look, a positive on this show. That's nice. You know. <laughs> oh god, I'm, I'm, I'm running out of these quite quickly. Um, let's talk about head protection here because we've talked about it a lot in this podcast before and this is probably the biggest of the major strategy group decisions that came out at this meeting there will be head protection guaranteed but now in 2018 there will no there will be no head protection or no halo or anything of the like in 2017 now king 
I, I, I kind of got the hunch this was inevitable because we were seeing no real major progress towards a confirmed final design for this thing, and we were already in August. So I, I had a hunch that there wasn't going to be a full design ready for next season, but... What I want to know, King, is, is that why have they delayed it? Because that's what was never explained. Like, we got we got the what, like, what's going on here, but we never really got the why. Um, has anyone on the strategy group explained why this has been delayed, apart from, you know, Bernie being Bernie, maybe? Oh, God. <laughs> Nothing conclusive. Like, from... Like, I even watched, like, uh, all of Sky's, like, coverage this weekend they try to find something out and they don't even know where they've where <laughs> they've heard from the drivers that uh, uh that the people that the engineers developing it made like a short document a document <laughs> a documentary uh explaining the benefits of the halo explaining that it that uh the halo would lower the risk of fatalities in f1 by 17 percent some people thought that 17 percent was good enough other people Wait, 17 yeah 17 Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. May I chip in at this point? Yes, you can chip in. <laughs> um, I, I don't like. I don't know if this is a case of me saying I told you so. I don't think it is. But I remember back in January, I, I think it was the GPDA that made a very, very, or it was either them or the FIA who made a very big statement about how uh, head protection is the most important thing in Formula 1 we have to have something in place by the end of this season like hey, as soon as possible and nah and the halo is our thing ever since then f from the very start of this renewed push for head protection I felt like it's been a massive rush which is weird because the FIA have been researching this since 2010 mm. but it felt to me like this was just a too it was a rush to be seen to do something do you yeah. know what I mean and I, it felt to me like, I mean, the Halo didn't solve anywhere near as many of the issues of head protection. It would solve some problems. Like, put it this way, the three major, or the four major incidents that people, or major kind of tragedies, accidents that people use to um, look analyze potential head protection issues are Jules Bianchi, Justin Wilson, uh, Henry Surtees, and Felipe Massa. Now, obviously, Massa's uh, was not fatal, but th those are the kind of four main areas where, you know, head injuries have been a thing in Formula One recently. Uh, and it was established very quickly on. Uh, I believe it was Sam Collins at Race Car Engineering who looked at the halo and said, well, it wouldn't have saved Jules Bianchi, probably wouldn't have helped Felipe Massa, um, maybe would have helped Justin Wilson and definitely would have helped Henry Surtees. So I think from the off, there was a sort of sense of, well, the halo is at least something. And I think that's why it divided people so much. You, you either had people going, it doesn't look great. It looks a bit like a rush solution. Why don't we wait? And other people going, shut up. It's safety. It's better than nothing. Do you know what I mean? They, they kind yeah. of lacked any sort of balance in the discussion. And the error screen came out, which I think people generally prefer a bit more. Mm -hmm. I think ideally people would, would almost rather wait and focus all our energy into, you know, maybe canopies or something, but who knows how far off they are. Uh, it's a tricky one, but I always, I just got this. I don't know about you guys. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but yeah. I personally just felt like the halo was just being rushed forward too early for the sake of being, for the sake of doing something, do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like, to me, it, it always felt like the, the FI needed to be seen as doing something. It obviously was exactly. not ready yet. And for some reason, people have this notion that, oh, there, there are 
quote unquote canopies in LMP one. They're not canopies. They're closed cockpits. Oh, yeah, they yeah, can exactly. they can just be an F one tomorrow. That's not how it works. Yeah, and I think Johnson struck on something that was very prevalent: is that it came across as rushed, even though it wasn't. And the amount of people I've seen on Twitter in the last couple of weeks, or even months, since this first became a real trending topic in the nature of head protection, you know, being put in, is having to correct people that, oh, this has actually been in the works for about five years now, and. People were surprised at that because, again, the impression they got that the FIA was giving off this impression that this was being rushed through when actually it wasn't, even though it wasn't ready. So it's kind of conflicting that the FIA would do something like that. And I think Ted Kravitz summed it up well uh, when he was talking with Buxton on NBC and where Kravitz has said, like, there was all this talk about the head protection after Jules' tragic accident. And... The phrase he used to describe it was, once you let the genie out of the bottle, you can't put it back in, basically. And now that Pandora's box has essentially been opened regarding the halo and head protection and what that now, I think the FA almost almost has to do something in response to Jules's death and, you know, having to put something through like this. But, I mean, I'm glad that you guys agree that if it clearly wasn't ready and that's the impression that i got as well because again we'd barely seen teams test it we had seen different designs you know red bull was testing out an aero screen the amount of testing of this device had been like one lap installation laps nothing at full racing speed um it's clear there's still were- questions to be answered about visibility and things exactly. like that and of course the whole jewel bianchi thing the the, the 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 tragic thing about that is it's it's no one knows if any amount of head protection would have saved him considering the impact and everything else and in fact um in terms of the other tragedies there have been good advances in safety elsewhere in terms of tethering parts to the cars you know in indycar have made great steps with that after justin wilson's uh, tragic death um there have been you know revisions to yellow flag rules because that seemed to be not being funny we've talked about it before that seemed to be a bigger issue in the jewel bianchi tragedy rather than anything else yeah. and you know you know we, we're still very very hot on having safety vehicles out on a hot on a live track um so there's been great advances there but the unfortunate thing is there is a huge push for for head protection because obviously no one wants to go through this sort of scenario again it was it was awful and and what a horrible situation for everyone involved particularly yankee's family but it's almost like the focus on head protection was a little bit of a busted flush in that just what could have saved him from that respect do you know what i mean and the halo to me just never felt like the right solution from the off agreed and it's going to be an issue going forward because the fi strategy group came out and said that you know we are still considering the halo as a strong option for 2018 i think that was the words they that's the term they used to describe it a strong option for 2018 but um we'll have to see how this goes we'll have to see how these developments continue i'm still not fully convinced the halo is the right way to go and i'm not sure you want to ever have a compromise as a safety issue but again exactly we'll that's to- what most people's fear is i think I- I think that's the impression that I get. Um, I don't want to see that either. And, you know, I'm not, I am not an aesthetics guy and you know not not I don't really care what the cars look like I've never, I've never been that guy personally but you know if something has to be done I want to see it done right and rushing this through for 2017 when you know there have been no prolonged testing no prolonged actual practical 
uses of this Halo since its inception. Um, I think that was the biggest stumbling block for me. So, again, I'm glad that it's been delayed for a year. Shout out to Lewis Hamilton for backtracking so much on the idea of a Halo. God bless him. <laughs> but... Um, Moving on, one more thing, because I just remember this on the fly before we get into the actual German Grand Prix itself. If So they changed the qualifying rules now where it seems that any lap... If this was earlier in the season, there'd be groans of disappointment right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, why can't the drivers finish their laps? Um, but no. Luckily, like, nothing quite that bad this no, time. No, but the narrative has changed. So the, rules, the rule has been changed that now any lap in a qualifying session that has been set with a part of the track under double waved yellows will no longer count. Obviously, this is a response to Nico Rosberg's pole position in Hungary, where he did lift through a yellow flag zone, through a section of the track that had double waved yellows, um, and still claimed pole position. Um, a lot of fans, including a certain Lewis Hamilton, was not best pleased about this. And shout out to Lewis Hamilton, by the way, for being a complete sellout and just throwing his teammate under the bus like that I mean, don't get me, I mean don't get me wrong i would do the exact same thing but he was like that kid in class just grassing on the kid at the back on his randall phone from recess he is randall weems yes <laughs> yes he, he's that guy and nobody likes that guy what guy that guy so so you know it's a situation where again king it's an understandable rule here because you, you probably shouldn't be doing hot laps with 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 with, with, with other machinery on track. Um, no. I don't think you need me to mention why, but it's it seems like a bit of a stop starty kind of reaction because if you do, if you double waving yellows and you can't set hot laps, why would anyone be out on track with a ticking clock? You might as well red flag the session, right? Mm. Yeah, which it's kind of the best thing to go. I. I think i saw it from i want to say buxton because he would probably be the most familiar with it where it's like <laughs> is f1 heading down an indycar style path to qualifying rules which would seem fair yeah so basically if you bring out a caution i think your two fastest laps are disqualified in indycar i yeah. think i think that's the rule um it's similar i guess and like i said the only issue i have with this rule is that you might as well red flag the session if there's going to be yellow flags on track. If there's going to be yellows, you might as well red flag it because no car will be allowed to set a hot lap, which is the entire point of qualifying. Um, maybe if, if, a wet, if a track is wet, you want to clear out some water, I guess, maybe. But besides that, I feel like it's... I think you're, I think you're you know, over-whipping the meringue on this one where I feel like well what's the point of the double wave the yellow in qualifying then like you might as well just red flag the session and clear the track off so you don't waste any of the precious 12 15 or 18 minutes you get in a qualifying session is that fair to say <laughs> yeah i think so yes. most definitely um i think it's just it's, it's a tricky one isn't it like i think you know it's it's very similar it reminds me to a, of a thing i think over in the blanc pan gt series they have a similar policy where uh, during the race, uh, if, a, if a sector's under yellow, you can't improve your speed, so you can't go any faster. Um, so, I mean, that's in a race a situation, though. So in qualifying, where it's all about the one lap, uh, it becomes trickier. So I think it, it's the simpler thing. If you've got a time session and every lap needs to count, then if someone's gone off, at, you just just shut the, shut the thing down, get it going again, stop the clock, get the car off the track, get back going again. Seems to be the simpler way, doesn't it? 
rather that than have double wave the yellows for a section of the track which just seems kind of pointless to me that, that, that again that's the impression i get um but yeah i i think unfortunately we've beaten around the bush enough here we have to get into the meat and potatoes of this grand prix and, oh god uh, and uh, let me, hang on let me let me get the bike gloves on yeah <sighs> right yeah. we're going in yeah, we've done. We we we've delayed this for thirty five minutes. We can do, we we can do this no longer. We've got uh, our gas masks and hazmat suits ready. Yeah, I'm ready for that Zika. I, I am ready for that Zika virus. Oh, let's, <laughs> let let let's let's do this. And um, King, like I, before I get started on this, shout out to your man Nico. It was a superb pole position for what it's worth. I think one of the best of his career. The fact he was able to not only nail that lap, but also have an extra lap of fuel in the car. That was incredibly impressive. And if there's one thing I couldn't friggin' stand about it afterwards, it was the fact that Sky immediately played the narrative of, well, Lewis made a mistake, and that's the only reason why Lewis wasn't on pole. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, King. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating. It is but... literally a case of, you know, like people on Twitter will go like, Lewis Hamilton does something good. Oh, amazing, genius, greatest of all time. Rosberg does the thing. Hamilton got screwed, and you're like, uh, you're being excessive. It's not that... Oh, no way, actually, it totally is that bad, isn't it? It is. It, the, 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 there is no question about it. I mean, I know, I don't think fans are quite as bad as people like to say they are sometimes, but when Sky, who is your national broadcaster for Formula One, is actively putting on their Twitter, you know, Rosberg poll after Hamilton era, which is just not strictly speaking accurate given that Rosberg's lap was a belter quite frankly and where's the assumption that Hamilton would have definitely been faster exactly and when you and when you add into that like it was even worse on Facebook on Facebook they put this, as the sub caption in, 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 in the text above the actual link to the post it was Hamilton's lockup cost him two temps I, I, I don't even buy that as being true because he still made the apex so I don't believe that him locking up into, into turn four is what cost him two tenths of a second. I really don't buy that at all to me. So, for me, I, I, I like Sky just continue to just be so asinine, and I try really hard not to get mad at him anymore because I've gotten used to it now. I mean, this is what year five I want to say of Sky F one. No, year four because they started in twenty thirteen. So yeah, this is year four of Sky F one as we know him as a broadcaster on here, and they still keep doing the exact same shit. And, and they're going to be the exclusive broadcaster in what three years time. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have no alternate option in three years' time. That, that we should just become like the alternative. We'll just start like an underground streaming service. Yeah, yeah. Like it worked. We'll for be like the old pirate radio stations. We'll be like the Radio Caroline of Formula One. It, it worked for mixed martial arts. You know why can't it work for us? Yeah. Hell yeah, let's do it. Um, <laughs> Are you saying we're gonna be the new Joe Rogan? Yeah, yeah. Why not? I mean, they, you know. <laughs> Better be a bookmaking worker by night, bookmaker by day, Joe Rogan experience by night. But um, <laughs> I'm down. But uh, yeah, I mean, King, you're the Rosberg man around here. Mm, open up. How, how, this must be. This must really get tedious after a while. Well, what's really nice is that, well, not really nice. Uh, it, it's in the last few months, it's been Dre that I've been inviting onto the couch to uh, to sit down and, and, and tell me. 
<laughs> I've sort of been the therapist of the group, and it's it's normally been Dre coming in to discuss Sebastian Vettel's season. Yes. King, King, uh, take a seat. Take a seat. The, 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 the couch is quite warm. Dre was in here a couple of weeks back. Um, yeah, he's... Talk to me. How, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? Oh, just, I don't know. Kind of expected this. It's the way it usually goes. Especially, like, you... It seems like Sky Sports never mentions who has the championship lead unless it's Lewis Hamilton. Yes, to be fair, for like the most part of the past two years, half the time it's been Lewis Hamilton. But anytime like Nico Rosberg is a champion, it's like, can Lewis can Lewis take the lead back? Can Lewis like it's somehow an aberration? Yeah, is is Lewis's season over? Like it, it's all the stories are framed from the perspective that Lewis Hamilton is the main protagonist, whether he's the championship leader or not. At least on Channel 4, on those commercials, you get the really cool Nico Rosberg celebration and the hashtag championship leader come up on the screen. So there's no way you can possibly forget that Nico Rosberg, until two rounds ago, was leading the championship. Like, that was actually cool. And again, shout out to Channel 4, who actually seem to get how to be a really good broadcaster in sports these days. Like... I don't, I don't praise them enough, quite frankly, given that we live in a world where Sky Sports F1 unfortunately exists. Um, but again, that, that, I mean, that was one thing. And, you're, and King's absolutely right. It's from like, it's it's weird because after the Grand Prix finish, which Hamilton won, like they talked about how Lewis Hamilton now has a 19 point lead in the championship, and of course he, he does, mathematically speaking, of course he does, but. They were talking about how they kept, they kept putting in the fact that Rosberg had a 43-point lead after, I want to say Sochi. I think it was Sochi where Hamilton was behind by 43. And they keep talking about how, oh, it's a brilliant feat that Hamilton's come back from 43 down in just eight races to now be leading by 19 points. This is the same broadcaster that takes great time and great care into making up stories to make Rosberg sound as trivial and as weak a teammate as possible. You can't have this both ways, Sky. You just can't do this. You can't talk down and belittle Nico Rosberg at every given opportunity you can spare and then at the same time use him as a narrative tool to enhance just how good Hamilton is or is not. You can't do that. I think it's complete horseshit and it's hypocritical on Sky's nature to be doing to be playing the games like this where like just last week they were talking again on F1's midweek report with, with Mark Priestley and Natalie Pinkham and all that. And they were talking about how they felt that, again, Nico Rosberg's mental integrity was up for question. And I'm like, no, no, no. are you fucking guys psychologists? Are you guys body language experts? Do you work for Closer magazine? No. <laughs> Stop this horse shit. I do not need to be told how Nico Rosberg is slightly worse than Lewis Hamilton. I don't. I'll be like, honest with you. I, I I do like sports psychology is a big big deal, and I, I do kind of enjoy it. We do enjoy that, but to be honest with you, unless you're Doctor Steve Peters, don't be coming at me with that bullshit every week. No, seriously. Like, like I, I will listen to people's opinions on this that are actually qualified to give their opinions on psychology, not. Natalie Pinkham and Mark Priestley from behind a Sky Sports punditry desk. You guys don't know body language. You guys don't know psychology. You guys are making up narratives. Now, I, I, I get me wrong. I totally get why they're doing it because, like I said, I said this, I said this time and again. In the eyes of Sky, Lewis Hamilton, they believe, is the lowest common denominator for British Formula One fans. Mm. And that's probably actually right. I totally get that. He is super popular. But 
the problem is, is that just being told, well, Hamilton's better than Rosberg doesn't make clicks. It doesn't get you clicks. You, you like it's gotten to a point where it, this is year four of Rosberg v Hamilton now, and. Hamilton is 3-0 as a teammate against Nico Rosberg. So it's like Sky almost need new reasons to belittle the man. And that just doesn't fly with me, especially when they're not accurate things. Like, I'm sure there is something to Lewis Hamilton being a better qualifier. He, he might be a tenth of a, or two of a second faster over a race than Nico Rosberg is. And and that's perfectly valid. And I, I think it's more than fair to say that Lewis Hamilton is the better driver at this point in time. But... Don't bullshit your audience and don't bullshit your viewers by trying to tell them there's 117 different reasons why Rosberg is worse than Hamilton. And it, it doesn't help that, like, I talked about that same Sky post on Twitter about how Hamilton Hera was the only reason Rosberg got on pole. The very next tweet was talking about giving Rosberg credit where it's due. Like, again, it's a surprise if he's on pole position. It, it, like, it's sad that it, we're, we're talking about a two-time championship runner-up and a 19-time race winner in this kind of light like Rosberg have, like, Rosberg's next win will be his 20th there's only a handful of drivers in the history of this sport that's got 20 wins like that's a very exclusive club but oh he's not as good as Lewis therefore he's trash I'm not buying this anymore I think it's I think it's terrible I mean I'm ranting like about this more than King is and King's the actual Rosberg fan <laughs> yeah <laughs> I feel like poor King he's just he's just sort of sat there he's like Dre I'm used to it at this point I try and ignore it yeah I just sort of sit here and go, it almost doesn't surprise me in a way coming from the fact that this is Sky we're talking about. This is from the Murdoch conglomerate of media companies. Like, look, I mean, this is not just a news outlet anymore. This is an agenda. You know, look at how their newspapers report, in inverted commas, news. It's it's almost like... It's almost like Lewis Hamilton is the the noble British underclass, you know, the the regular hardworking people of Britain, and Nico Rosberg are the dirty immigrants stealing his job. Yeah, like at this point, that's that's almost how blind the narrative is, isn't it? It is literally a case of Nico Rosberg could win a race, lap everyone, including Hamilton, five times, and then kiss the forehead of a, of the baby Jesus, having got out of the car at the end of the race, and he'd still be trash. So, yeah. yeah. I just, I, to be honest with you, I think Rosberg's been very patient with the media. We'll get into some people who haven't been as patient with the media, mm. and rightfully so, mm. later on. But I think Rosberg has cut them a lot of slack, Massively. especially with the amount of mud they've slung his way. I'd have, like, and especially with some of the booing for the fans, some of the fans who have bought into the narrative, I think he's been really, really patient. I mean, if this was the Senna and Prost days, I don't think Prost puts up with it half as much. Let's be real. Yeah, N- Nico Rosberg is a better man than me. I'll, I'll be the first person to tell you this. <laughs> I've said that before. The man is has has is and always been a class act. And I mean, this is a guy who goes on on Twitter and on social media after race and does like live video blogs, even if he's made a mistake. You know, after Austria, he tried explaining the last lap incident. You know. After the race uh, yesterday, we're recording this Monday. Are, are, we, su- are we supposed to like this kind of transparency in our racing drivers? Yeah. I thought we liked that. I know. Am I crazy? <laughs> it's no, I mean, you're not. In an ideal world, we should do. And to be honest with you, I just have, at this point, I have maximum respect for Nico Rosberg for, for staying so dignified in this situation because he has had every excuse. And, and the fact that literally I think the most we've ever seen him snap was throwing a cap at his teammate in Austin last year like is that it 
uh, like a, a that's that was thrown minor. at him in the first place. But may I add, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like really, he just lost the championship having been barged out of the first turn and then made a mistake late on. And he'd spent two years eating up that narrative. The previous year, he lost it in the final round after his engine went sour. Like, dude, I'm sorry. That's hugely restrained for a man who's just come that close again to achieving his lifelong dream and coming up short again to his biggest rival. I mean, that's massively restrained. Yes. Yes. I mean, like I said, he's 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 30 years old and he's a better man than me because I don't know if I'd be able to take that because, mm. boy, like... When when the when when Formula One's biggest broadcaster is actively out to get you, when Rachel Brooks is coming out here saying things like, "Did you miss the press conference because you were that upset about not winning this race?" No, no, like seriously, no. And they're not even loaded questions; they're double-barrel questions at this point, aren't they're, they? I'm, they're I'm trying to get you to react, kind of questions. That's what they are, and they are reactionary they are questions. Come on. Come on, for fuck's sake, bite. It's what we've been waiting for for three years. We want a soundbite. Yep. We want a soundbite so everyone at my peers at Downforce can nitpick your comments for half an hour. It's it's, it's what we want. (laughs) But, um, I mean, let's get into the race a little bit here. And, you know, Nico Rosberg, he was started on pole. Unfortunately, he had a bad start caught up some wheel spin in third gear and just like that his race was over before it even begun really and just like that Hamilton had shot past him and the race was effectively over at turn one so props to me for being an idiot for saying it was going to end at turn four god damn it <laughs> I still gave F1 too much credit yes you did and that was hilarious it was like I think Sky was it Sky themselves tweeted before the race they were like oh yeah. will this race be over by turn one and you were like nah it will at least last till turn four and then uh, no 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 no, no. Wrong again, Drope. Wrong again. (laughs) You made a terrible error. My my standards are still too high, clearly. I'm not a very patriotic person, but my my sense of British optimism was clearly still too high. But but no, Nico Rosberg crapped the basket, and before we got to even turn one, Hamilton shoots off. The race from a competitive standpoint is effectively over because Red Bull hasn't got the means to chase Hamilton down, despite putting Verstappen on a freestyle which didn't work. Ricardo gets the better two-stopper. He goes on to finish in second. Um, driver of the day, by the way, went to Daniel Ricardo. You may have seen that this morning, so props to him. He's having a real good weekend going into the summer break. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But uh, Also, King, do you, you see the narrative from Horner this morning saying that Verstappen was a great team player by taking the weaker strategy like he had a choice in the matter? <laughs> That's so cute! <laughs> He's a great team Sorry. player by following orders. <laughs> I was like, way to take one for the team, Max. I mean, wait, you, you followed that order like a real gentleman. Steady on. This is Max Verstappen, who started the year throwing his Toro Rosso teammate Carlos Sainz spectacularly under the bus because he didn't get out of the way and then he crashed into him. Great, great team player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great team player. Team that, player, that, that, that Way to go, bro. Yep. <laughs> he, like, he's, he's showing, like, he's finally showing replacement level team skills and he's like great team player oh, the guy's maturing right in front of our very eyes he's blossoming oh, what, a, what a guy how max is and christian horner shut up please for god's sake every time christian horner opens his mouth it's like some horse manure flies out of it because he mentioned <laughs> he mentioned last week how he said verstappen and ricardo is his greatest ever driver pairing and i'm like oh, oh get no. out 
This is the man that put Sebastian Vettel in his all-time Formula One team, and he's telling me Verstappen and Ricardo is a better driver pairing. I mean, at least if you're going to insult our intelligence like that, let's just be real. You're just trying to promote your own at this point. You're like a ma- you're like a football manager who refuses to blame his own players after they've just lost six one. But but of course yeah. Horner can't say that. He can't say he, he can't openly say I'm a Verstappen hype man but it's 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 just it's it's, it's code that's what that is it's code but um I, I had to mention that because Verstappen is like oh god like let's get to the meat and potatoes and let's talk about the biggest race incident from from Germany and that was Nico Rosberg who tried a pretty aggressive but ultimately in my opinion quite fair pass on Max Verstappen into the turn four hairpin um, <laughs> there's been a lot of heated debate about this one, and I don't quite know where to start with this one, but we saw it. I mean, Rosberg was given a five-second time penalty as a result. King, you're the totally unbiased Rosberg. Hold me back. Hold me back. <laughs> King, King, back down, man. It's not worth it. He's not worth it. World star. World star. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, do you want me to go first? I'll give you time to... (laughs) Of the season. I just can't wrap my head around the fact that they gave him a five-second time penalty for that. He's off. There's no stopping him. King is snapped. Like, they gave out a time penalty for an incident where zero contact was made. (laughs) That's a very good point. I didn't even look at it like that. (laughs) Like... If anyone was at fault here, it was Max Verstappen. I completely agree with that notion. But people were telling me that Rosberg didn't turn in enough. He was at full lock, and he had to react to the fact that Max Verstappen once again turned sharply to the right in a braking zone to try and defend against an overtake. Where Verstappen could have... If, if People say, oh, okay, Rosberg didn't lock up and he didn't steer full lock originally because he was trying to put his car in the right spot, right? To try and stop himself from locking up, right? People don't realise if Rosberg locks up, there's a hellacious accident right there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, the way Verstappen veers into the braking zone trying to, and I quote, make the corner, where he blatantly turns sharply right in the braking zone, trying to basically get Nico Rosberg to back down, which didn't happen. Rosberg makes the corner, you know, don't get me wrong, Verstappen did have to go off the track, but there was no contact. Normally, these penalties are for causing a collision. There was no collision. He nope. did not force Verstappen off the road. Verstappen could have slowed down and cut back, like we saw later in the Grand Prix when Esteban Gutierrez did the Hinchcliffe up and under. I think it was on a Renault. I think I want to say it was Kevin Magnussen. Not 100% sure on that, but Esteban Gutierrez did the exact same thing later in the Grand Prix. And Rosberg gets investigated and gets a five-second time penalty when Max Verstappen, on three separate occasions now in the last two races, has steered across a braking zone and has not even been investigated for it. What bullshit is this from the stewards? I have had enough. I've had enough of this inconsistent stewarding. I don't care what side of the fan fence you are on this incident. If you can't see the problems with the student inconsistency at this point, I don't know what to tell you. Because it's it's a travesty that this has happened. Like, I don't like accusing big organisations of being corrupt because I sound like a Valentino Rossi fan. But there has to be some level of bias to this now. Like, 
I'm not even so mad about Rosberg getting a time penalty. What I'm really mad about is what this time penalty represents. It's it's the precedent that it now sets. precedent it sets, yeah. Yeah, the pre- basically, what the stewards are telling us now is that Verstappen turning across a braking zone is legal. Yeah, I, I, it's it's legal. It just depends on who you are. It's like, if you're Max Verstappen, you know you could get away with that. <laughs> If you're yeah, Rosberg, I, on the other hand, uh. yeah. And can I point out, three years ago in 2013, I remember it very well, and I mentioned this after the Hungary race. Sergio Perez got a drive-through penalty for fainting left in the braking zone at Spa at the end of the Kemmel Straight mm. and causing Grosjean to to sort of blink and move off the track. Perez fainted left. The movement was minimal, and he got a drive-through for that. Uh, and I mean, have we now flip-flopped so far the other way? But it's not even a flip-flopping with the rules, though, is it? Because like there was no precedent. It was like yeah, no. there was no precedent. It's like, so what? Hang on. So, so what's okay here now? If you're the prodigal son of, of Formula One and the saviour of, of all known motorsport, then threatening to pull Mark Webber 2010 Valencia accidents all over the place is fine. And yet, if you know, you, you don't then comprehend that. You know, drivers are going to go, well, Jesus Christ, this guy's going to play a game of Space Invaders going into every braking zone. <laughs> I'm going to have to really thrust it up the inside and make my move stick. Well, surely that's more aggressive racing. That's what yeah. we want, isn't it? No, yeah, like, no, quote, no, 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 quote, no. Nobody quote, puts Verstappen in the corner. Quote from Max Verstappen on the on his incident with Kimi Raikkonen where he said, oh, you're fighting. We're not on a Sunday drive. That's how I approach it. We're here to fight and there to score points. Senna and Prost would have liked it as well. Well, <laughs> if there's one way to annoy Dre, it's to reference Senna. Listen, listen, listen. Do people not realise that Senna and Prost had some of the worst racecraft ever exhibited on a Formula One track? Because they lost it. It was almost a case of there, there were no limits because personal. passion and, and it, the red mist descended. That's the thing. Like You Senna see it in NASCAR all the time. That man to win a championship. You do realise this, right? Senna, like, he, I, I don't want to go as far as to say it was deliberate, but if you look at that 1990s and we're processed in the Ferrari, like, like Martin Brundle said it himself, and he's, his opinion is much more professional than mine, where he said during that Top Gear Senna tribute, he said Senna made no effort to break for that corner. None. Oh, come on. Yeah, it was obvious. None. He knew, he knew what he was doing. He hated his opponent. There you he go. knew that if he knew that if Prost failed to finish, Senna would be world champion. So as Jeremy Clarkson said, he made she made sure Adam Prost failed to finish, and it's we are one step away from that with Max Verstappen. Like Verstappen, if he keeps us up, is going to cause a hellacious accident somewhere, and then we're all going to look at Max like he's like he's the new Pastor Maldonado, and we don't want to do that because no. I said it on Twitter. Verstappen is the embodiment of everything that a lot of fans would love about Formula One. We love seeing young stars yep. in Formula One that could be promising. We love that. We look at MotoGP and look how much we all adore Mark Marquez for being a 23-year-old superstar in that sport, for the, for being a unique character and for being that great at that age. It's the same deal with Verstappen. He's still only 18 years old. He's clearly an he's got excellent speed, excellent racecraft when he wants to show it. But like Verstappen clearly is going to be a top-tier driver for the next 10 years if he has the right car underneath him and not to mention he's trying to bring back old school racecraft where 
there is a there is without question a massive pocket of the F1 audience that genuinely believes that racing like that's racing man means anything is anything is okay and you're allowed to do shit like that. That's I mean, look, we're at a point now where even NASCAR has gone. Yeah, you know when we said boys have at it. Yeah, we might want to back that down a little bit because we've got people basically t-boning guys into the wall here to serve up their own justice. It's like the wild west out here, and like. Formula One has to be kept. I mean, Formula One is in no position to do that. It's an open wheel series. I'm sorry. At least NASCAR, it's like touring car racing. You expect a little bit of rub and bump and grind because they're closed wheel cars. They're they're burly cars. They can take it. Formula One, I'm sorry. You've. I mean, if you're going to drive aggressively, you've got to get it right. Do you know what yeah, I mean? There's like, no. Like- there's a very fine line between aggressive and reckless. And I'm sorry. Weren't we dismissing the likes of Sergio Perez and Roman Grosjean as being reckless? You know. Oh, what if someone dies when you're pulling a stupid move? You know, Grosjean was suspended one race after that reckless start at Spa. You know, like, and Christ knows Maldonado is going to... Jokes about him are going to last longer than one Pablo Montoya fucking jet dryer jokes, um, the way the internet goes. Mm-hmm. But, like, where's the line? Where Where's... Where's the difference? And it feels to me almost like a perception thing. When, Do you know what I mean? When, when Nick Heinfeld on Twitter comes out and says braking like steering across a braking zone is the absolute no-no when it comes Absolutely. when it comes to f1 racecraft and martin even martin brundle on his post-race blog in hungary said he was driving like a junior out there would where you would not get away with that if it was someone like senna or mantle you were driving against like you know it's gone too far and yeah Verstappen is because I mean moving across in the braking zone is it's a a move fraught with danger because if the other guy's hard on the brakes they can't turn yeah how can they avoid it there's no way as I say and in open wheel cars it's any sort of contact in that area is going to be brutal do you know what I mean as we say Mark Webber in Valencia is the precedent if they had made contact while they were both braking it would be a completely different story yeah Absolutely agree, and it's it's the 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 thing here at this point is that you you have to, you know, like we've just been talking about, you know, l- relaxing with the rules. And of course, we don't want over penalisation. Like I thought Perez's penalty three years ago at Spa was harsh. That was ludicrous. It probably was. It was ludicrous. There was no contact there. There was nothing there. It was on the same level as the Rosberg penalty, actually. So you don't want that. But you don't want at the same time a feeling like the rules only apply to certain people or the rules are inconsistent because then you'll get drivers chancing their arm. You'll get drivers going, you know what? I'm willing to take the chance because who knows what will happen. (laughs) You know, and it's it's literally a case of last year uh, at the end of the season in NASCAR, the big issue they had there with the whole Kenseth Logano thing. Sure, Kenseth T-boning another driver into the wall is just not... um, you know, it looks really bad. I was ashamed to be uh, in in the NASCAR scene when that all dropped. It was horrible. You know, Carl Petty was on TV saying it was absolute BS, makes the sport look bad. However, if you listen to most of the drivers that day, they said Logano had it coming. And that was entirely because Logano had basically screwed Kenseth out of the chase two races before by crashing him out of the race for no reason. And NASCAR hadn't only not penalised Logano, the CEO had gone on radio and said it was quintessential NASCAR. So you wonder at which point, you know, everyone hyping up Verstappen, you know, pulling these wild moves all over the place and be really aggressive. Yeah, Senna would have loved it. At which point do the other drivers go, now, do you know what? I'm sick of this shit. 
And yeah. you, they almost sort of step up to lead the like, locker room. It's like, no, 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 no. This is, I'm not this is this something anymore. you would never see in traditional team sports. Like, if a no. single player on a sports team did this, it would be, they would be suspended. They would have to pay massive fines. They would be, like, slandered in the media. Mm-hmm. They would bury people for stuff like this in America. They would bury people like this in American team sports for, for violations like this. It's So for me, I feel like you've got to shut the door on Verstappen's behavior like right now because the more this goes on, the bigger risk you run of it, of it causing a very serious accident. And then that would force us to have this conversation. I want this conversation to happen now because Verstappen is, is getting away with so much right now, I think, because he's Max Verstappen. Snapping. And I just don't believe that's the case. I just don't believe that should be a thing. I don't believe because you're young and exciting, you should get a pass for something. You need to be held accountable for your behavior. And I don't like that. Like, the man is so immature about it as well. The man takes no responsibility for his behavior, like any 18 year old would. Like, saying oh well Rosberg did it to Lewis har 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 you know or when or when Felipe Massa criticized Verstappen's racecraft Verstappen said well look you took out Perez at Canada two years ago <laughs> like the man is ridiculously immature and don't get me wrong he's 18 I don't expect it I don't expect him to be the shining beacon of maturity but at the same time He's getting away with too much for my liking now, and I think a lot too many fans look at him with rose-tinted spectacles because he's Verstappen. And I've had random people on Twitter attack me for saying, "Oh, Max didn't break any rules." Yes, he did. He blatantly did. You cannot steer in a braking zone. Any wild motions like that are not allowed. So. No, Verstappen fans, don't come at me on Twitter telling me, "Oh, you know." This is what Verstappen, Verstappen, this is what we want to see. We don't want Nico Rosberg not turning into a corner to make an accident. No, you're using Rosberg as a scapegoat to justify your own driver's reckless behavior. I've had enough of it. And, and you know, I'm going to move on before my head explodes just talking <laughs> about that bullshit incident. And also, shout out to Mercedes who can't operate a stopwatch properly because holy <laughs> crud, like a five second time penalty turned into an 8.2 second penalty because they couldn't activate a stopwatch. F1, the pinnacle of technology right there in its in its in its in its, in its brightest moment. Now <laughs> we've 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 got to talk about I think this, the nature of, of the battle for I think for second in the championship right now, because I think it's fair to say Mercs are gone at this point. But You don't say. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that goes without saying at this point. Which but, is kind of depressing in a way, considering <laughs> we've talked so much about how vulnerable they've looked and yet their opponents have less wins against them than this time last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 but um, you know, I, I don't even want to talk about this anymore. But it's on Big Square. I want to talk about second place here and Red Bull versus Ferrari. And <laughs> God, where has it all gone wrong for Ferrari? I mean, I don't want to talk too hey, much. Can, about this. Can, can you get off the counselling couch now? I need to get Dre back in here. <laughs> His sessions are becoming weekly at this point. <laughs> Yeah, like like Johnson is making money out of me as a therapist right now. Leave your credit card details with my secretary. Well, it'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just 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 put it on my tab. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's 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 seemingly all gone to pot at Ferrari right now. I mean, there was again a lot of talk going into this season that Ferrari were going to mount a serious threat, spearheaded by Sebastian Vettel. Now. 
again, Germany, by their standards, was another poor weekend. Both cars, not great in qualifying. They finished fifth and sixth. Vettel did the ball professional job. He got the fifth-placed finish. Um, Raikkonen falling to sixth in the end and, you know, not having a particularly strong weekend at all, where Red Bull clearly had the measure of them. And, you know, Red Bull finishing second and third, a great result for Red Bull to get another double podium there. I think their second one of the year. Um, I mean, King, is it fair to say now at this point that Red Bull are the second best team in the field? Oh, God. I, I think they're there, you know? Yeah, I think Again. they're there. I think, it, like, I they complain that, you know, uh, that Renault has made surprising improvements, like, what, Red Bull have yet to have a uh, mechanical, uh, mechanical retirement this entire season? That's a very good point, and not, no one is drawn on. Red, Renault's reliability has gotten so much better. No, sorry, sorry. Tag Hewer's reliability <laughs> has gotten so much better this season. They, last year, they were blowing up left, right, and center. This year, they've not had a single breakdown. That's a very good point as well, that Red Bull have just made gains just by finishing races, which is, sounds really crude to say, but is that, that's the truth. <laughs> yeah, if you want to score points, you got to finish. I think Christian Horner also made like some comments saying that there have been, there's also been power improvements, but they still, I think they estimated they're still uh, 35 kilowatts behind uh, Mercedes, which is, you know, still a deficit, but, you know, the reliability helps a ton. It definitely I mean, helps. Isn't that about as close as anyone has been in the hybrid era to Mercedes in terms yes. of just sheer yeah. power? Like, last season, Ferrari was still estimated to be, like, what, 100 horsepower down or something ridiculous like that? Yeah, I think, like, 100 horsepower down and, like, uh, optimal conditions, like, yeah yeah exactly like this is people are as as we've kept saying time and again mercedes have not looked as dominant this year and yet they still have been they've still won they've still won 11 out of 12 this year exactly and you know if it wasn't for most likely a series of i call it the book series a series of unfortunate events at catalonia they probably still are on course to run the table this year um but we have to talk about this on the Ferrari side. They've just lost their technical director. We didn't talk about this in the, in the preview, Bill, but James Allison has left the Ferrari team with mutual, uh, with mutual consent with Ferrari. And, uh, boy, the reaction to this was mixed, to say the least, King. But I think it's fair to say that's a hammer blow for the Ferrari team. <laughs> yeah, especially heading into next season when, you're, when their leadership is basically gone <laughs> yeah exactly and you know it's 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 not a good look and it's i i, 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 I think I, what's I, interesting about it well not interesting in a way but like what's uh there was so much speculation as to why i think the fact that ferrari had been on such a downturn gave everyone the easy excuse to say james allison was was you know left lack of performance blah 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 but i i mean it completely passed me by he lost his wife at the start of this yes. year yes and he had expressed a desire to be working more full-time closer to home back in britain to be with his 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 you know his family his his sons um a little bit more so i think i mean come on that's got to play a factor hasn't it i mean when I, when I, things are going wrong in your professional and your personal life then really 
the best thing you can do is take a time out. And from that respect, I can completely understand. Like, even if things were going well at Ferrari, I think part of Allison would still want to be heading home for a bit, wouldn't you? Yeah. Like, a lot of people, I mean, I saw them mention it on NBC and Sky, both like, why didn't he take a sabbatical? Where where it's like, it, he, he knows he's not going to go back to Italy. Where he, well, like, if he's going to go work for an F1 team, it's, it's going to be in England, and he doesn't feel like working right now. And that's <laughs> completely fair under these circumstances. L- listen, listen. And I, uh, I butted heads with Side Podcast regarding this the day it was announced. But I don't want to put words in James's mouth if he wants to release a public statement. Of course, he can and he will. I don't want to necessarily 100% assume that this was because of his, the passing of his wife, but I, I think it's almost impossible to say it, it, it wasn't at least a factor in this. You don't get to tell somebody how to deal with losing a loved one. And, I, I, and this is something I want to highlight very evidently. Like, side podcasts were very cynical regarding this. Blame, they, 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 I don't want to, again, I don't want to throw shade at them or anything like that, but this is what they said on, on their Twitter page. They were very cynical regarding this move. They said it was Ferrari's fault, and they used Mike Gascoigne as an example because when he was, he was working for Toyota back in the day, he was able to commute to Cologne every day and the saying that Ferrari and them could have found the way to make this work. My response to that is you don't get to tell somebody how to deal with losing their wife. I don't I mean, care. I don't care what anyone says to me regarding that. Like I am just not wired that way where I yeah. can look at something like that so cynically. I'm not saying they're wrong for thinking that. What I'm saying is, is that I am just not wired that way to look at, at someone losing their wife, the love of their life, and to look at it and look at their situation from a professional standpoint and, and to be so cynical regarding that and to pin that on their team. If I had if I was running a company and a person left, wanted to leave the company because they lost their wife and wanted to spend more time back home, I would not resent them in the slightest for do for wanting to do something like that. I'd be completely understandable. I don't care yeah. who it is. Like, if you don't want to work for this company, and for, for whatever reason, you shouldn't have to be feel like you're forced to work for them. And like I said, the man lost his wife. He, and, he has, and he has to work and live in, in Italy. I mean, that that can't be easy. And ultimately, people deal with loss in different ways. And mm. and I am not going to tell somebody how to how to grieve properly. And that's that's just not in me to do something like that. So no. for me, it's, it's a factor and it's 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 another blow for Ferrari where that's concerned. And right now, it seems that the team seems to be bemused in where to go right now. I mean, Vettel was very despondent after the race saying that we just didn't have the pace he, he, he could he couldn't quite believe it because he's normally the optimistic come like alonso kind of guy in that sense of mclaren where he's always optimistic talking about his team's chances and whatnot raikkonen was more blunt because he's raikkonen he said we need to improve the car on all areas and i'm like well, <laughs> just across the board really yeah, i mean yeah like just n- nothing specific just everything yeah um, <laughs> yeah just in general like and just to just to underscore and kind of provide a full stop to your point about James Allison. Mm. Um, uh, last year, at the end of July, I flew out for my first event with uh, doing commentary for RC Racing TV. Uh, the event was in Austria. It was one of my first trips, if not my first trip ever, abroad. Mm-hmm. And on the day that I flew out there, 
or maybe on the second day of the event, uh, my mother actually went into ho- or was in hospital and went in for a major, major operation, having had a, a really bad, not necessarily life threatening, but a very something that had affected her quality of life condition for six months. And she was in a huge amount of pain and was really suffering badly for a long time. Now, the context is it wasn't life threatening. She came through the operation very well. I completed the trip. It was just fine. That's a tiny, tiny amount. I was away from home when someone close to me was going through a tough time, Mm. let alone had someone close to me passed away and I was still on the road six months later. Do you know what I mean? So I I can totally understand if Alison goes that way. It it feels that way. People deal with grief in different ways. Some people prefer to stay on the road because it it means they can not dwell on things. But for him, it may be gone the other way. But in terms of Ferrari, I think we've talked about this already, haven't we, Dre? The the frustrating thing about this is that Ferrari were well poised to to really capitalise on that. Massively. We're the closest challengers to Mercedes tag. And with the law of diminishing returns coming into Mercedes... to do it. Oh, yeah. And uh, Raikkonen... And, and in Raikkonen an experienced number two who'd be, who'd be a great supporting player for that like a great wingman but and, and it's funny it was almost a narrative that was written but it was not without precedent Red Bull going into this season looked like they would struggle badly they officially didn't have factory engine support they were developing the Renault engine themselves a Renault engine that was poor last year so it's kind of all been turned on its head and, and there is a real feeling that no matter how much good work Red Bull have done, and undoubtedly they have done a lot of good work, Ferrari have missed their chance at a tap-in. The ball's come to them across the six-yard box. Goalie's on the floor stranded. They've missed at the far post. And mm-hmm. whether they'll get a chance that good again, it's hard to tell. Indeed. And, you know, Red Bull are going to develop well. They always have. They, they, they tend to get stronger as the year goes on. And... You know, they have Daniel Ricciardo, who right now is on a one-man mission to bring any and all joy into Formula 1 right now, because, boy, Ricciardo has, like, Ricciardo has had a real great run of form lately, you know, back-to-back podiums, and um, also, he did the Jack Miller shoey, which I think props to Ricciardo for this, he did the Jack Miller shoey celebration where he drunk champagne out of his shoe, which I think is disgusting, yet also brilliant all at the same time. Uh, well, do you know what's, you know what's marvellous, is that literally the day before the Grand Prix, I was out with some friends of mine in London, and, and I was actually hanging out with a, an Australian friend of mine, and we were watching part of the Ride London cycling yes. uh, event, mm. and we were talking a lot about uh, cycling worldwide, the Tour de France, and Australia's big presence in that, Um, You know, we both literally concluded that, you know, I I think it came about from the fact that I talked about a lot of the time, you know, the British sporting scene, the British motorsport scene can be very old school, very traditional, very stuffy. And we both agreed, you want to add colour to sport, add just add Australians. It's really that simple. And then a day later, Ricardo proves our point completely. Yeah, and not to mention his awesome press conference moment where he actually said top of the morning to a Scottish journalist, which I thought that's just... (laughs) That is just peak Australian comedic ignorance right there, where, don't get me wrong, a lot of people do confuse Scottish accents for Irish accents. It does happen. I have made this mistake on many occasions myself, and I was born in London, England, and have lived in West London my entire life. So, like, I, I, I'm completely aware of this accident, but, uh, God, we need Daniel Ricciardo so bad right now, because, Jesus, like, every press conference where jabs are being fired at the Mercedes awkwardness. I mean, last year it was Sebastian Vettel that was breaking up all these press conferences with, with the Mercedes drivers, with 
Vettel's femur was just carrying us. This year, it's Daniel Ricciardo. Like, those are <laughs> easily the two most charismatic, entertaining guys in Formula One right now. And they're not even all that entertaining, but God damn them, we need them so bad right now. The only guy that's refusing to get on the wagon right now is Ryan King for, for catchphrase related reasons. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> King, don't you dare be sour. <laughs> Give in to the power of positivity. (laughs) (laughs) At this uh, point in time, it's almost like Danny Ricardo's more like Sami Zayn. Yeah, yeah, goddamn, we need him right now. But, um, oh, great, back to the negative stuff again. Oh, dear. Um, (laughs) Oh, whoa, whoa. Let's let's talk about Daniel Kvyat. (sighs) Oh, God. Kvyat is having an absolutely wretched time of it right now at Toro Rosso. He's only scored two points in the eight races since his return to the team. And he got knocked out in Q1 on Saturday. He qualified, I think, in 18th place. Um, and Rachel Brooks interviewed him. And it wasn't even Brooks's fault, really, on this one, bless her. But... Um, Kvyat looked like a broken man and he looked so dejected out, out there when when he was interviewed like he simply said I need more than a summer break to recover right now he doesn't know what he's he doesn't he doesn't feel like he's driving the car he feels like somebody else is driving it right now and I think King you said earlier today that he spoke again to the press and he said going back to Toro Rosso has taken the enjoyment out of Formula 1 for him and that's very saddening when you think about it yeah to basically be under that kind of pressure and strain it 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 doesn't help it doesn't help you at all it it, it, to to be in a place where you're competing for podiums and now you're struggling to get points it's not good it's not good. It's the impression that it leaves that, you know, that you promoted for Stappen for this. And we talked about this again and again. And I mentioned it on the Dre Brief I released um, this past Sunday. And props to everybody that watched it. And props to whoever put it on the F1 subreddit. Thank you to you, sir. You got it over 1,000 views. So um, thanks to you guys. I don't forget for spreading the word on that one. I'm glad you guys appreciated it. But... Um, Verstappen's decision the decision to put Verstappen in the Red Bull seat has obviously been vindicated because he's been excellent for them so far there's no question there um, unfortunately but in the case of Kvyat it's it's very saddening because he was the collateral here in, in, in this situation and it's just it's easy to forget that Kvyat is still only 22 years old and we young guys and you know we've been through rough periods like this before and it can very easily happen i mean johnson i know you want to chip in on this like feel free i mean say your piece well i mean firstly there's a good reason why that dre brief did very well it was very eloquent it was very well written and i think it kind of summarized you know for people just joining the party if you will the 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 compelling story of uh kvyat and how his career's gone so far and how you know it's very easy to end up you know at formula one and particularly perceptions of the drivers nico hulkenberg will tell you this this year it's very much a big deal what have they done lately kind of environment do you know what i mean and um you know, like it, perceptions have changed so quickly. Uh, for me, I mean, David Croft also released uh, a blog today on the sil- the on Silverstone.co.uk, and he he delved into it a little bit more, and he said that, or he looked into a little bit more um, the comments at the end of that qualifying session where Kvyat seemed to be asking his team 
or seemed to be saying to his team he had no idea what was going on and it was more a case of do does he know what's going on from just a base level you know interaction chemistry with his engineer does he know what's going on in terms of contract there's more mutterings that pierre gasly is going to be in that seat next year oh, and he's seems to have no, and he seems to have no support from his team in that regard it really does feel like he's been kicked to the curb for Verstappen and we kind of have a hint of we know why Verstappen was moved up so quickly mm. and I mean you know you made this point in in the Dre brief and Croft makes the point as well you know in fact Croft's exact words were for every Sebastian Vettel and Daniel Ricciardo there's a Jaime Algasuari dropped at 21 Sebastian Buemi dropped by Red Bull at 22 and it was lucky that he was able to get a second lease of life in World Endurance Championship Racing. Scott Speed, Tonio Liuzzi, Jean-Éric Verne, Sebastian Bourdais. The, the production line has seemingly spat, chewed up and spat out a lot of people to produce the perfect prototype, which appears to be Verstappen now. But even then, what happens in two years' time if the luster's fallen off of Verstappen? Uh, or, you know, Ricardo has a mediocre run next year. Do we then drop Gasly in there? You know, how? where does it end? And for me... It's a little bit of a case of, you know, Kvyat, this is where sports psychology, I think, comes into it. Because I think Kvyat has just basically, he's been basically given a massive non-vote of confidence by Red Bull. Yeah. It was just the biggest one possible. Because let's be honest, Kvyat didn't really do anything wrong. He made one uh, mistake in, in, was it Russia? Russia. With uh, yeah, Vettel? Yeah, he made one mistake in Russia with Vettel. But it, that just seemed to be convenient timing because we all know it probably wasn't that that got him kicked to the curb. It was Verstappen. It was the Verstappen camp, uh, you know, demanding Red Bull back up there. You know, you know, back up your, your your words on how much, you know, Max is the future of your company. Back it up with actions, else we're going to start flaunting him elsewhere. And they went, well, you know what? we got to try and do whatever we can to keep this kid here, even if it means we just kick Via out to the curb. And, I mean, I know you guys saw this. There was that interview with... Um, I think it was Austrian television. Uh, it wasn't the Rachel Brooks interview at all, but it was no. uh, it was an interview with fruity. yeah Austrian television. Where I mean, he's dropping f bombs. He's you know he's he's calling the rumors about his future fucking bullshit. He's not got time for this shit. I mean, this was a guy who is. I mean, he's a young man as well. We're, we're talking about Verstappen being immature at eighteen years old. You know, Kvyat's still two years younger than me, and uh, you know. He's 22 years old. It's a lot to deal with to be taken through and go through the ranks and do all of that. And then suddenly you're at a top and you're at the second or third place team and then you're literally kicked to the curb and treated as an afterthought. You know, Toro Rosso must be sitting there going, well, we've just lost our good guy and now we've got the damaged goods from the senior team. Well, Carlos Sainz is still doing pretty well. Let's, you know, we know how to get the best out of him. What do we do with Danil? And no one seems to know. I mean, to be honest with you, at this point, I can't see Kvyat staying in Formula 1 after this season. I and I think if I'm him, I think he has to start just thinking about taking Destiny into his own hands because Toro Rosso are offering him no guarantees. It, it already appears that the Red Bull Academy has already started looking towards the next big thing. But yeah, Gasly. Um, the production line is is cranking into gear again. Um so, you know, where does Kvyat go from here? There's, there's got to be spaces, you think, in the WEC, maybe. There's always going to be career paths into Formula E. Um, IndyCar appears to be a way that a lot of people are looking at this point in time. But it, it's, it's very sad because, as you mentioned in that Dre Brief video, when a driver is labelled damaged goods, it's incredibly hard for them to come back. You know, the, the only one, or well, there's a couple I can think of 
who maybe went that way. Grosjean got his head down and, and kind of turned his reputation around at Lotus, but he wasn't fired by them. Sergio Perez, I think, is the closest. When he got canned by McLaren after one year, he was really written off as, as too much of a maverick. He got his head down at Force India and has put in largely three or two and a half very, very good seasons. But when you actually get dropped by a team, when you get booted out the door, it's so hard to overcome that perception. Indeed. And you feel for Kvyat because this perception's come about through no real fault of his own. No, not really. And, I mean, Johnson, you, you summed it up better than I ever could, really, in that in that sense. I mean, when he's coming out with this with Austrian TV and saying, oh, the Russian media doesn't know what it's fucking talking about. And, I mean, you could see he was clearly evidently pissed. This, this, this was even being thrown at him, quite frankly. And... To be honest with you, if you're in his spot where you've had such a public kicking and oh, now God, you've yeah. got the vultures circling, questioning your entire career. I, I like, get you. Know, we always talk about this in sport, how sport is unique in that you don't have any other job in the world where so many people are watching your every move and yeah. deciding and criticising you and telling you you're not fit to do your job and someone else should do it instead. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. Like, the, the only other job that's like that is probably political office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very true. <laughs> and in the Game of Thrones, you either win or you die. And quite frankly, the you know, Kvyat is looking like he's Neil on, said it himself. Yeah, and looking like Kvyat is looking like he's on death's door here. Unfortunately, because I don't think he's going to be in Formula One next year. I mean, right now, who's hiring? Who would who would hire him right now? Like when Renault seemingly has options around it, and we'll get to that very shortly. But I mean, Williams maybe if Massa moves no. on or retires. But even then. I think yeah, they're, they're more they're, likely they're, to be looking at someone like Perez, maybe, aren't they? Where, where would he go where he would be an improvement over someone who's over someone they've already got? Where? Exactly. There, there isn't one right now. I mean, Kivy. And even like, if you were looking for a place out of necessity, where's that going to come up? Like, Kivy has damaged goods at this point. He has damaged goods at this point, and unfortunately, like once you get that rep it is so hard to get back in once you're booted out of f1 it's like in MotoGP, it's almost impossible like once you're gone you're you are almost definitely gone in formula one the only reason esteban gutierrez is still here is because he brings a brilliant sponsor to the table he's got that massive amount of money but and to be fair gutierrez has not been anywhere near as badly as people think he is even if he's colorblind to the color blue but <laughs> in any case i mean i think kvyat is just i think he's too far gone for me at this point i don't i mean toro rosso are going to bring in pierre gasly next year i'm almost dead certain on this now he's, he's really gotten his shit together this year in gp2 which you know he's chosen the perfect time for that really when when he sees the, the chink in toro rosso's armor when it comes to their drivers and red bull are flourishing with ricardo and verstappen as horner said their greatest ever driver pairing apparently so you know hurrah where, where it is but you know poor kvyat i mean i hope he can get his head together in the summer break and i as as David Croft said, I hope someone gives him. Oh, help! Dr. Marco has got it in him to give him a cuddle and say, "Listen, kid, you're really good at this. Get your head down. Take the time off. Clear your head. We believe in you. Go out there and do your best." Even it may though, well be that the summer break has come up at just the right time for him. Indeed, the problem is now is that how do you tell someone you've got confidence in you and you just demoted them? But hey, that's <laughs> Dr. Marco's problem now, not mine. Um, <laughs> A couple of interesting silly season stuff to talk about before we before we wrap up this 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 almost part one you could say of Motorsport One One this time oh, around. And, I mean, there was it was going to sound like the Hobbit trilogy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we, like, like we don't quite know where we're going to end this one and start the next one. Like, but um, this is it, an unexpected journey. Let's be real. Yeah, it is. It is. But um, 
let's talk about Williams for a minute here and they're in the river for a very very mediocre season right now bless them like but um Right now, they've got Valtteri Bottas and Felipe Massa, and it's been kind of interesting. I don't want to speculate on this too much, but Felipe Massa, you may have noticed, has been swapping helmets with people recently. He he swapped with um, Daniel Ricciardo, his brother from another mother, last week. Um, you, you may have seen it on on, on on social media that Daniel Ricciardo and Felipe Massa are the best of friends, and like Ricciardo is regularly in Brazil to visit the family, you know, play games, and it's like it's the cutest thing ever. Like I call it the two and a half men of, of Formula One. It's the, like the, the the only person that's more adorable when they when they show up at the Massa household is Maldonado. Yeah, like like the video the video on Instagram where Maldonado is literally doing a pit stop for Filipino is just the cutest thing in the world. I mean, that literally like if Maldonado pulled that off two years ago, all the jokes would have stopped. Yes, like, we, we'd have all loved him again. It would have been amazing. But uh, we would have single handedly saved his career. But, the greatest uh, babyface turn in F one history. Yeah, yeah, it would have been glorious. But yeah, no, we we know that that Ricardo and and, and Massa are very close. But then he did it again earlier this week who was it with that he swapped his helmet with can anybody remember i want to say no, i don't remember i i want to say, i can't remember who it was let me see if i can find it on social media real quick here like again the, na- the professional nature of this podcast is kicking in again here in in glorious fashion i'm going to dig out felipe Massa's twitter while trying to find something yep here we go it was it was sergio perez that's the one um it was sergio perez um that he swapped his helmet with again and it's caused to lead up to speculation that this might be Massa's final season in formula one and williams said this morning that it's looking like i mean the way williams have been talking since like mid-April probably suggests that they're probably going to change things up for next year and, and this also sorry to cut across yeah. you this also comes a very interesting point in terms of quotes from the from Perez himself who apparently uh, I'm not sure King you might be able to help me out with this I'm not sure where the actual source are for these quotes I think Catherine uh, Bentham on on Twitter alerted me to these um, as the major Williams fan that she is so she uh, kind of let me know with these comments and I read elsewhere I just can't remember where it was that Perez has apparently made his mind up about next year. It's very interesting, so he says, but he won't say where. So, uh, I don't know. Perez Perez is a bit wishy-washy when it comes to deciding to move teams or not. Very. <laughs> He, he, like, I don't want to play any girl jokes here, but he's very indecisive on these ones. Uh, <laughs> but he's very indecisive when it comes to deciding teams. I mean, we saw it last year where it's like the way his website was. They, like, the web- it, was, it was literally all but signed that he was going to go to Renault, but he changed his mind at the last moment and decided to stay at Force India. At the 11th <laughs> hour, he changed his mind. He didn't want to commit to Renault and chose to stay at Force India for another year. And that same rumor has come up again now for 2017. That Renault it's almost like-, like he's in a long-term stable relationship that he's kind of okay with. And then every so often he gets like te- tempted and plays away a little bit. It's like, oh, well, oh God, this is, this is very frisky now. Yeah, it's like no, I can't jump ship. I can't leave. I can't. can't They've been so. VJ Mali has been so loyal to me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like he is McLaren. He's got commitment issues. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, Um, (laughs) it's 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 a difficult situation for sure. But I mean, Perez. Perez is the number one driver in the midfield. You can make the argument right there, given he's had an excellent season so far. Again, he seems to now be getting the better of Nico Hulkenberg, kinda. But um, it seems that we've all pinned it on Perez to push to get him into a top seat again. And 
you know, he was a former Ferrari Academy, Academy guy. Um, I don't think Ferrari's going to change anything around anytime soon. I don't think... No. I, don't, I mean, Williams could be an option, maybe. I don't know if they've extended any offers to Sergio. I mean, it, it would be an improvement on where he is at Force India. How much of an improvement, I'm not quite sure on right now. Um Breno as a long-term commitment, maybe as, as a project. Yeah, like, I mean, given given, given the, the promises rumor, that the, the, yeah, go on, go on, yeah, go on, the, go on. The, the big rumor in the Danish media is that Renault are clearing the decks this off-season. Yeah, they, they might. Like Magnussen has not been particularly special either, and Jody and Palmer. Oh boy, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> the, the less said about Jody and Palmer's season, I think, the better at this point. Um, it's it's it seems that Renault may very well just clear the decks. Like this lineup has not worked. Magnussen has, has scored the team's only six points in that one race in Russia this year. That's their only point scoring drive. And Jolian Palmer could have scored points in Hungary, but then he spun out from tenth. So it's just like ugh, it's, it's it's all kinds of awful. And the drivers are not helping the situation. Let's put it that way. And Perez is arguably a top ten guy in the field right now and tying him down to a long-term project with the Renault team going forward and he you know that team being built around him there's got to be a level of appeal to that one right King yeah there there's certainly a level of appeal like I know obviously it being Renault like a number of French drivers has come around but no one really has F1 experience and is French besides you know Roman Grosjean and Jean-Eric Verne and if you don't if you can't get or don't want either of those two you're gonna need a veteran to sign on with your young talented rookie indeed and you know Renault's academy is stacked right now we'll be talking a lot about this more in part two essentially um with obviously Sergei Sorokin under the wings who seems to be coming on leaps and bounds and Oliver Rowland who's having a very good season given he's driving for one of GP2's worst outfits on paper I mean they have talent there they also got obviously got Esteban Ocon on loan essentially from Mercedes as well so they have talent they can put in there, and I don't think Merckx would be opposed to putting Esteban Ocon in the seat for next year, um, given that that's another one of their future guys that they that could potentially drive for them one day. Um, but like Perez has got options. I mean, Force India is the clear fifth best team in the field right now, but how good is that going to be in the long run? Don't you think you know? Event like Force India are never going to win a title. Renault might win a title if they get their shit together. That's something you've got to consider. I mean, if Red Bull can win as a team, Renault can easily do the same thing, I think, one day with enough assets and backing behind them. Like, surely I think the long-term end game is a little bit bigger with Renault than it is with Force India. I mean, either way, I don't think Perez... I don't think Perez can lose here if he if he sticks around in Force India. It is, Force India is still a very good team right now, and pound for pound, they might be the best team in Formula One in terms of resources and production as a result of that. But hey, I mean, King, if you're Perez, do you go Williams or do you go Renault? Oh, but if it's between Williams and Renault, yeah, I'm definitely going Renault. <laughs> yeah, I, I would too. Because Williams looks like they're going backwards. Like I think. Right for me, Williams. I think their worst fear, my worst fear of them, is being realised. They've run out of money and they've hit the wall. Like they, they, they can't get into a spending race with the big three, and that's Ferrari, Red Bull, and Mercedes. They have such incredible amount of spending power and resources that I think they're ultimately kind of screwed um, in that department, and that could be a problem going forward. I think uh, their best chances of really making some headway were the previous two seasons. Agreed, they? and they did. To be fair, it's just you know. Mm. 
they, they, they just haven't got they enough to be able to capitalize really yeah, to sustain it because Williams have complained about money as well like they said that the costs are twice as big as they were four years ago so like they know what it's like to go through struggle um, where that's concerned but hey they might get Jensen Button next year they'll sell all the sure you know, deodorants in the world now that they'll have <laughs> a handsome strapping mature man like Jensen Button on the front of their marketing campaigns well they'll have Arav as a social media manager for them as well <laughs> <laughs> but just on the Perez point in terms of moving from Force India mm. I sort of look at it the other way you know Force India has become quite stable for him and, and Holkenberg it's been kind of a way for them to go they've supported them and they've sort of been able to you know the pressure hasn't massively been on them it's not like they've been expected to get top five finishes so whenever Perez like in um, was it Russia last year he got a podium yep. yeah. and Monaco this year when he's hit the podiums it's been like wow that was amazing from Perez and any decent results from him and Hulkenberg in that force India it's like yeah that's great but if they finish lower top 10 or outside the points eh, it's not the worst thing in the world mm-hmm. but for me I just wonder if Perez is kind of looking... I mean, what is he now? Is he 28, I want to say? Or is that Hulkenberg, who is... Uh, yeah, Hulkenberg is 28. Hulkenberg is 28, I believe. Perez is 26, Hulkenberg's 28. Yeah. So both of them have got to be looking at least to be like, well, we're supposed to be in the sort of prime of our careers. But, I mean, ironically, Hulkenberg's tied down to a pretty long contract at Force India. He's there yeah. for the foreseeable. Uh, I guess he's enjoying the stability. He's enjoying the support. I mean, this is the team that let him go off and run Le Mans. They were happy to let him do that. Yeah. But I think Perez is maybe looking at it going, I mean, we've heard some of the mutterings about Force India financially yeah. the last few years. I think they've stabilised. We've heard the mutterings about Vijay Malia and mm-hmm. being investigated, you know, for crimes back home. Does Perez look around and go, hmm... Renault may not be on the same level in terms of raw performance yet, and Williams may be going backwards, but are they potentially the more stable options long-term? Williams have got massive experience, a pretty strong winning culture. They've been around the block. They'll probably come again. Renault have the factory money coming in. Is that maybe what he's looking at here? Is that why he's considering these options a lot more than potentially someone would? Yeah, he's looking at progression. He definitely, yeah, exactly. He he definitely wants to move up in the world. You don't want it like getting a podium occasionally is nice, but you you want to eventually push for championships. Yeah, of course. Like of course. even before that, maybe a race win would be nice. Especially given this is year six for Sergio Perez now, and he's just hit the 100 race club as well, like Daniel Ricciardo did this past round in Germany. So there's definitely, I mean, Perez is going to have to be thinking at 26 in his prime to think about paths to get into the top now because Force India are a good team. They're not a great team in terms of sheer performance. And maybe another viable option is, you know, around the corner. But. Going on to a little bit further down the field of Manor, I mean, it, it really looks like Harry Anto is out of cash. Um, like, yeah. completely. Like, 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 a moth just flew out of his wallet right now. Like, that's how broke he is at this point in time. At home, he's got ketchup sandwiches going on right now. So, <laughs> the struggle is most definitely real in the Harry Anto camp. And it's looking like Rumors he may not busking outside of Hockenheim this past weekend. Yeah. Uh, with, with, yet with, to be substantiated. With, with a guitar, holding up a, a cardboard sign that says, we'll drop pants for food uh, oh. <laughs> oh damn we're back on the sausages again aren't we <laughs> oh no but I mean it seems that that man seat could be up for grabs after the summer break and Keen, we've got some contenders here it looks like Stoffel Van Dorn and Esteban Ocon seem to be the two options that people are talking about here yeah I think uh yeah, those two guys are number one options, but it seems that uh, Esteban Ocon's moving to the forefront. That um, 
Mercedes are kind of starting to realize that maybe DTM might not be the best place for them to refine his skills, that maybe that the Verline approach to things may be the best approach. Yeah, just get him in a seat. Just get him in a seat and see what he can do. And that might be the best way to go about it. Just chuck your boy in at the deep end. Um, Mana, I don't think Mana are the worst team in F1 anymore. I think they've legitimately overtaken Sauber. Yeah, Pascal, Pascal Verlon has had a sensational season for what it's worth. Harry Anto, I mean, for what it's worth, I don't think Harry Anto has been all that terrible. I think he's a good qualifier. He's got good speed. I don't. Think, I just don't think it comes together for him in races. And I don't like Harry Anto is far from been a disgrace in Formula One this year. Let me make that absolutely clear. But if he ain't got no money in a in a manner environment, you're not going to be around for very long. And you know, maybe Esteban Ocon, maybe Stoffel Van Dorn. I'm curious to see where they go with this. I mean, they talked about Alexander Rossi, but he's going to be a bit preoccupied until October. So that's probably not going to be an option for for at least another couple of months. We'll have to wait and see how it all plays out. But uh, yeah, shout out to all our, our Indonesian subscribers who, you know, wanted us to talk about Harry Anto again. Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> well, and that is essentially the end of part one, you could say, of episode 51. I'm not quite sure how to describe this yet. I'll think about it in, in, in post-production. Part 101 saga, Breaking Dawn part one. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Johnson. Oswald's <laughs> penalty was the vampire baby. <laughs> Johnson, I'm going to kill you in your sleep. Now, <laughs> this was essentially part one. Like I said, we thought there was so much to talk about here that we felt like splitting in two was best. And hey, look, we've gone an hour and 45 minutes. So I was right. <laughs> so, what do I know? Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. Back. We were right. <laughs> yes, yes, King. I, 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 I will give you credit on this one. Fuck it, Johnson. Now, this <laughs> Oh, come on. Only now you're dragging King out from under the bus? <laughs> yes. Yes, I will drag his corpse out and hold it up as a shield. Um, no, I, just, for, just for the record, I had to drag myself out. I was still under the bus. How dare you? Yeah, just like under the front wheels, like, oh, now you give me credit. <laughs> I will throw you back in there in the style of, of Brian Griffin from Family Guy if I have to. Um, <laughs> but but um, consider this the end of part one. Um, we've talking about most of the negatives regarding Formula One right now, and trust me, it, we didn't make it sound as bad as what it actually was. <laughs> Check back later this week as we talk about GP2 in Hockenheim, and we talk about IndyCar and how friggin' awesome Mid Ohio just so happened to be. Um, That'll be just most likely be me and King for that one. So hey, check back later this week. You're getting two episodes for the price of one. What's not to love? Um, so if you haven't already enjoyed that, you can check us out on YouTube for exclusive content like the Dre Beef you mentioned earlier, and all obviously all the highlights of the show at youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. If you really liked us, you can back us on Patreon too. That is at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can at Harrison101HD. Adam is at AJ underscore bomber sports and ryan eric king is at ryan eric king that's with two k's it's it's, it's, the, it's the fancy way of spelling it all right until next time well later this week actually we've i've been andre harrison he's been adam johnson and ryan king and we'll catch you guys later see you on the other side <laughs> bye